Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. And that's become the hardest part of the NFL draft is defining what great character is. As you go through a draft is to really understand who has that competitive fiber to not do it once a week, but to do it every single day. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Andre Paraiso, with us on the ones and twos in for our guy, Elliot Bowman and Michael, this is a special podcast because we get to continue our literature and leadership series, and this is none other than, I'm, I'm really excited from doing the preparation to talk to this next person here, but the one and only Pat Lynchoni joining us now. He is the author of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He's written 13 books, sold over 8 million copies, also the host of a podcast, At the Table with Pat Lynchoni. Pat, we appreciate you joining us here on the GM Shuffle. How are we doing? I'm doing great. It's fun to be here with you guys. I get yeah, to talk about to see sports. You again, Pat. I want to give a little background before we get going. I I was in Chicago for uh, Brian Broaddus' wedding, 1-800-BUCKET. Femi, (laughs) we've had him on the show Uh before. And I was at the airport, and I saw this book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and I read it. And I read it in the the flight from Chicago back to the Bay. And on the back cover, it said that Pat was from Lafayette, California, had a company there. So... We invited him over to the Raiders, and he spent time with us, and he's become a friend, and I've followed his work for years, and a lot of the stuff that I learned in Five Dysfunctions of a Team it, it resonates with NFL teams, with every team that you go to work for. So, Pat, this is really great to, A, to reconnect with you, but more to to learn more from you than you've already taught me. Oh, well, that's an honor. I don't know if that's the case, but that's an honor. And I'm amazed at how many, you know, Eric Spolstra – he and I have been communicating. They just almost won the whole thing this year. Mm-hmm. He said last summer, he goes, I'm not sure what offense we're going to run, but we're going to use the five dysfunctions to help do this. And so many sports yeah. guys, Jim Harbaugh, I, re- I ran into him in an airport one day and he said, oh my gosh. And he called his dad and said, guess who's I'm here with? He said him and his dad read the book multiple times. So many people in sports use the five dysfunctions. I didn't even know it. And it's so fun to connect with people in the sports world. So you called me when you were with the Raiders. We have some interesting Stories we could tell there sometime, but uh, I love connecting with sports people. We we could we could write the book the ten dysfunctions of an organization at that point, right? <laughs> I just remember that one moment, Michael, where you said to a coach that was there at the time, "Hey, I think you'd like this book." He goes, "I don't want a book. Find me a wide receiver." And he had a few yeah. expletives in there too. <laughs> <laughs> Commitment to, ex- to excellence, I guess. <laughs> um, well, let's get into it because you mentioned how the five dysfunctions. I'm sure that we have some people in our audience who are saying, well, what are the five dysfunctions? And doing the research for this interview here, it's the absence of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, inability to hold each other accountable, and then inattention to results. Can you explain how all of those are connected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it starts with trust, but trust is about vulnerability. And that's and in, in the sports world, that's a guy that's willing to go, my bad. I did that. That was my fault. Or I need help. 
or I'm not doing my job and everybody else knows it. And he says, I'm glad you admitted that because now we can talk. But when people pretend it's not their fault and they're not vulnerable, they're not willing to go, yeah, I'm, I'm not good at this or I need help. Everything breaks down. The reason why you need that is so you can argue well, you know, and I like to say you should argue at practice, not in the huddle, mm. but it's good. People on a team argue well about what the best thing to do is because they trust each other. They can argue and they can debate and then they come out on the same page. They commit to the plan. They don't, they don't nod their head and smile, but because they've argued, they go, okay, I'm in, I'm in. And you see this in the world of sports. You see it in firefighters and rescue mission and soldiers. You, you debate something and then you leave and you go, I'm all in and we're going to execute the game plan. And then when you see somebody strain, you hold them accountable. This is the hardest one. You turn to somebody and you say, you can do, you need, we need more from you, man. I'm not going to go to the coach. I'm not going to go to the general manager. I'm not going to go to the CEO and complain about you. I'm going to turn to you and say, you need to do more. And because you know I have your back and I care about you, you're going to say, thank you for telling me I will do more. And at the end of the day, and this is a great sports one, it's about the, the collective good of the team, not the individual. I love the Scottie Pippen story. It's like everybody's results-oriented sports, but sometimes it's not about the team, it's about them. And the, the year after Jordan retired the first time and Pippen wouldn't go out onto the floor because he wasn't going to get to take the shot at the end mm -hmm. of the game. Yeah. And, and, and I like to say, boy, I wish everybody on every team had the courage and audacity of Scottie Pippen who could admit that out loud because then you'd know who to trade. <laughs> because <laughs> the, the problem is there's a lot of players who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in my stats and my career and all these other things, but you want people who are caring about the collective good of the team. And I love talking about some of the players in the NFL and other sports that are all about winning. You know, and, and there's two tight ends that come to mind, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Kelsey said the other day, yeah, my agent says I can make a lot more money, but I love being here and I love being on this team. Mm. And Kittle, they'll throw one pass to him in a game and he'll block his ass off and they'll win. And he is the happiest guy in the locker room. <laughs> he does not yeah. care about his stats. It's all about the collective results of the team. So anyway, those are the five dysfunctions. They apply to sports, any endeavor where people are working on a team. And I and I love every one of them and believe in every one of them. So let's you and I. You wrote this book. It's been probably twenty years since this book's been out, right? Yes, twenty one years now. Twenty one years. Okay, so a lot has happened in those twenty one years. So we are now. There wasn't Instagram back then. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't this unbelievable narcissistic promotional tour that everybody's on. It's about me, 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 me. Show me what I can do. So how does the leader fight the I culture and build a we culture today using these principles? You know, I think what they do is they realize it's even more of a competitive advantage or a differentiator today because the average bear, if you will, is pretty self-focused. And so a team that can actually do this has a massive competitive advantage. And I will say this, look at what Eric did with the heat this year. Um, and, and, and you know, the, you know, the player, gosh, what's his name? Um, who's the veteran Haslam? Yep. Udonis Haslam. Yeah. Here's a guy who's still been the only team he's ever played for. He's not playing anymore, but he's on the bench. He is so much a part of that team. They work like a unit and they choose players who are selfless generally. And they really try to build a culture and they, that's why they overperform when it, when it, when it matters. I mean, to go from an eighth seed and to work all the way through that is extraordinary. I will even go to the Nuggets and say, I think that they are one of the least ego-driven teams. I think it stems from their coach. And I don't want to go into other teams, but there's a lot of teams with a lot of talent who never seem to perform. And there's a lot of players who go from team to team and they think, well, he's the final piece. 
and they just don't do that well. And so I think that humility and vulnerability and teamwork is actually more of a competitive advantage, Michael, because it's so rare in a society that's so self-focused. Well, that kind of goes right to the ideal team player, which you've spoken a lot about there, about hungry, humble, and smart, and how there can be different combinations of the two and all that. Can all three of those traits be developed, even when somebody's later on in life, let's say into their mid-30s or so, can you develop hungry, humble, and smart? Yeah, that's the that a lot of a lot of teams and organizations use that for hiring. They'll go, should we get that player? Should we hire this employee? And they go, first of all, are they humble? Are they more about the team and not themselves? So that's the ego thing. People can develop that one later in life, but usually it's through some sort of trauma or big experience where they get humbled. Mm. And but that's one that kind of stems from from young. And so I, you really want to look at that as a it's a virtue that you develop young, although you can through difficult situations develop that. Hungry is a work ethic thing. And I think that is the hardest one to teach, but it is possible. Smart is interpersonal smarts. It's not intelligence. It's about how to deal with people. And it's interesting that, Michael, you probably find this interesting. There's research now that people can become more emotionally intelligent by practicing. There's a lot of good books out there. Bradbury's book about emotional intelligence and things like that. So you can develop these things, but darn it, it's much better if you find people that already have them. And this is why I love the draft. I love the NFL draft. Michael knows that because it's like, how can you understand these intangibles and pick a player who you don't have to develop those things? It's a lot easier to teach a guy a skill, assuming he has the raw material, than it is to teach him to rewire his character. And that's become the hardest part of the NFL draft is defining what great character is. You mentioned it's hard to determine the hungry. So... We, we felt like work habits was something we could improve on, but competitiveness was something we never could improve on. And I think that's the hard part as you go through a draft is to really understand who has that competitive fiber to not do it once a week, but to do it every single day. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like interviewing any other organization, but it's a lot more regulated, right? You can't just go hang out with a guy. Now, college coaches will go, I remember Jim Harbaugh, I heard he'd go sleep on the floor of a kid's house and see what he was like in his home. <laughs> but uh, but in the NFL, you can't necessarily do it. So you got to know how to ask the questions and what you're looking for. And I love talking to people, not agents and not people who are trying to sell somebody, but asking them questions like compared to the other players on the team, what was this kid's work ethic like? And I want to find out like he hates to lose. He does whatever he has to do to, to get better. He holds himself accountable. And you, those kind of guys, I mean, there's a guy, there's so many players right now that are undrafted free agents that I know are going to be successful in the NFL, but they're probably going to get cut and they might not make it until somebody finally gives them a shot. And I will tell you this. I think if Tom Brady had gotten drafted by another team, there's a chance we may not, not have heard of him. And I, I think that <laughs> everybody needs a shot. I mean, and I, and, and Kurt Warner, I, like, I really believe that. Yeah, I, I don't, Pat. I don't disagree. I mean, look, you, you, you know the, you know this from being around the NFL. There's sponsorship, and if no matter who you are, if you don't have sponsorship, your talent will get overlooked. I mean, even as great as Brady ended up being, you know, he didn't have. If he had any sponsorship, he wouldn't have been the 199th pick in the draft. But right. it, it, when you get when you don't have that, if you don't and, and then the player you talk about trust, the player needs to feel that you're going to allow him to compete to make the team. That's why when Belichick stands in front of the team and says after the draft at the first day of training camp, 
you know, everybody's on an even playing field because that's the only way to build trust. You can't have hidden agendas when selecting the team. Totally agree. You know, there's there's two players in the NFL that come to mind right now. One is Brock Purdy. Okay, and, and the Niners can, and I'm a Niner fan because I live out here, they can brag all they want about getting him, but it is his attitude and his courage and his fearlessness that makes him good. And if you look at his background, you know, the other guy, Jalen Hurts, I called one of my friends that's a, a, a coach a few years ago when they were going to draft a quarterback in the first round. I said, no, don't take him. Take Hurts at the beginning of the second round. He is going to be great. He's a coach's son. He's a super hard worker. He takes it really seriously. And that's the kind of thing that always leads to over. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Performance, the, the, my other... The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another story I love is Austin Eckler. When you talk about nobody knew how he was going to be great, and he, and he went up to the coaches, and they didn't even know who he was at the Chargers and said, sir, how can I make this team? I'm willing to do anything. And they said, the guy was willing to work so hard. And if you can figure that out and put the media out of your 
and the fans who were like, I want you to draft this really, you know, really famous guy that everybody thinks is going to be great. Every year there's these guys that overperform and there's certain things you can look for. It's just hard. There's so many constituents that general managers and coaches have to deal with. But man, when you find those guys, it's a, it's a, it's great. Yeah. And I think I mean, things have kind of changed a little bit now, but in terms of what Michael was talking about with the sponsorships, like that confirm confirmation bias really starts to seep in to the decision-making for a lot of these teams. I, I would go back to, cause I'm from the, Pacific Northwest. I was grew up in Seattle, and like I go back to when the Seahawks drafted Russell Wilson, and they, that offseason they'd signed Matt Flynn to a big contract, and everyone said, "Oh, Matt Flynn's a starter. Why would you draft a quarterback in the third round? We already signed our quarterback in the offseason to go ahead and lead our team." And there was no confirmation bias in Seattle. Pete Carroll said, "All right, guys, go out there and compete." Russell Wilson wins the job, ends up being the quarterback for the next decade. Like it, it, that to me, it's like I feel like a lot of people say it. Like Belichick says it, and they actually lives it. But a lot of people don't live it where they say, "Hey." The job is open for everybody. Go compete, and we're going to play the best guys. Absolutely. You know, and Bill Walsh, a big influence on Michael, they said Joe Montana went to camp every year thinking he was going to lose his job. Every year. <laughs> it's, it's wild. <laughs> and I love that. Well, He's like, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, he raced, you have to raise the level of standard. If you don't, if you accept – Everything is the norm. Now, you know, it was going to be hard to beat them out, but you had to give – if you're going to give the players a chance, you you got to give everybody a chance. And so – but I think that's what makes Walsh a genius. And your latest book, the and one of the reasons we were so happy to get you on, is the six types of working geniuses. Talk to us about that because – I know you watch the NFL closely, you and your sons do, and, and I want to get into your observation of leadership of NFL people without specifically mentioning it. But let's first talk about the six types of working geniuses, what you've learned from watching these great people lead. Yeah, well, as it turns out, there's six different tasks, abilities that people have to do anything, whether you're you're running a football team, you're 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 starting a company, you're introducing a new product, you're planning a friggin' family vacation. You got there's six different tasks that are necessary and nobody has them all. And I learned this myself because I was getting frustrated at work, Michael. I'd come to work and be a little grumpy half the time and happy half the time and grumpy. And, and people would say, what's wrong with you? And I go, I don't know, but I want to figure it out. And I realized there are certain kinds of work that I love. That's my working genius. Two of those six give me joy and energy. It's like pouring coffee into a, a Yeti mug and screwing it on. It's going to stay hot all day. I'm going to hold my energy and be excited. Two of them are going to be like, okay, I can do them. I don't love it. It's like pouring coffee in a cup and putting a lid on it. The other two are, I call your working frustration. It's when you pour coffee in a cup and there's a hole in the bottom <laughs> and it <laughs> drains you of your joy and energy. And every coach in the NFL, everyone in the world doesn't enjoy doing things the same way. And that's why there's not one way to coach, but it's why every coach needs to have assistants around them that fill in their gaps. And some of them, and the six types of working genius, there's like the, the genius of wonder, which is like they like to look around and kind of ask questions. Another one is the genius of invention. They love to come up with new ideas. Another is the genius of discernment, where they can kind of sit there and just look at a situation and know the right thing. Then there's the genius of galvanizing, which is they, they love to get in front of people and, 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 and motivate them and remind them. Then there's the genius of enablement where they come alongside and help people. And there's the genius of tenacity. They just love to finish things. And as I was just going through those six geniuses, different coaches were coming to mind. Like enablement, sure. Tony Junji was an enabling coach. He was like responding to the needs of his players. You need this, I will be there. Andy Reid is an invention coach. Guy mm -hmm. loves to come up with new things. So is Shanahan. 
You know, Pete Carroll's a galvanizing coach, loves to, to get in front of people and motivate them. One guy looks at one guy and says, I don't like doing that. And it's like, well, how can you be a coach? Because we're not the same. Bill Belichick is not a galvanizing coach, right? Hmm. Not in like. Yeah, I mean, like, Mike Tomlin is. I mean, oh, you yeah. know, uh, Mike Tomlin galvanizes. When you said galvanize, that was the first name I thought of as you were going yeah. through all those, you know, because he does. I mean, Belichick's unique in the sense he's got a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah. This is why he's so successful. I mean, he, you know. And it's hard to find guys like Belichick. I think that's what I've learned over my career, Pat, is my wife would say to me all the time, well, you, st- you know, maybe there's just one Belichick. I kept looking for the next one. Like, who ah. is like him? But there's really very few like him. And I was talking to a, a general manager uh, years ago, and we, he was asking me what Bill did, and I was asking him what his coach did. And, and as good as his coach is, like, he didn't do what Bill does. So, like, there are sometimes, that, like, there's Walsh. There's outliers to all this that come in. Yeah. And Walsh was the invention discernment coach coming up with new ideas, having the right judgment in a given moment. Like, what should we do here? Not just data, but judgment. And then there's other people that, that like to, that have tenacity. One thing about, about Belichick, he has tenacity. He's like, not, does not give up sticks to the plan. You know what I mean? Like he is like that. Not every coach is like that. You know, there's three coaches that are currently in the NFL right now that we rated. Cause, cause I went through and rated every coach every quarterback. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I wanted to talk to you about, it. I love that. See, I think I, I wrote that for our betting guide at Vison Pat. I think this is the untold element of handicapping football. I think, and we are a league of subcontractors because most head coaches today are not like Reed or Carroll or Belichick where they're kind of in charge of the whole program. They're just kind of running their unit. And so, but you as an observer of leadership, you know, you, you kind of have your take on watching these without being intimately in the program. And yet, you know, you know, it's like I said to somebody, the culture in Washington's a disaster. And they said, well, how do you know you're not there? Well, I could see it. Oh, and the you fruits see of it. it. You the can fruits see the, of it. Yeah, you can see it on leadership. So talk about that. Yeah. So I, I was just fascinated by how leadership meshes with sports in the NFL. I like the NFL. And so I thought, and I went through, I'm sure I was laying in bed one night and I did this. And then I showed it to my son, Casey, we were golfing. And I said, here's how I evaluate this. And he said, dad, you know what your, your, your evaluation is. It's a match on almost the, it's the prediction of wins in a season. I said, I had no idea. I mean, I just picked a random five point scale for coaches, for players and for quarterbacks and and other players. And he goes, oh my gosh. And he looked at the betting line. He goes, do you know how closely this matches the betting line and where it didn't, we were like, oh my gosh, that team's going to overperform because they have better leaders. That mm. team is going to underperform because they have none. And so he, we put together, cause my son's better with technology. He put together all these graphs and spreadsheets and w- he shows me where our rankings of teams based on leadership, how it matches up with DraftKings projected win total for the season. And I it's it. nuts. He even did a, you know, all these, these graphs and they track with one another. And yet there's some outliers where we know teams are going to overperform and almost every year they do because leadership does more. And Tomlin's one of the great examples of that. How does Pittsburgh still not have a losing season, even in, t- in years where they have injuries and their, their talent is down? He's one of our, he is one of the perfectly rated coaches we have in the league. 
and, and that's we've talked about that. I mean, we're also associated with Veasan, which is the Vegas Stats and Information Network. We're like we're a betting network, right. and all last season, everyone says the Steelers have never been below five hundred. Is this the year? And then they go above five hundred. They almost make the playoffs if not for the ball bouncing a couple different ways in other sports. You mentioned how you rated the teams that can overperform. What about the teams that might underperform? Is there is there a team that uh, people think that's going to be really good that in your rating system you guys are a little bit lower on? Yeah, what I the Raiders are the the team this year that they're projected to win seven and a half games. They are they are so low on leadership. They've they don't have a lot of players that lead. They they're they don't even know who their quarterback is going to be. And even if it is Garoppolo, that's not a thing. And their coach, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of confidence. But the, the hot seat is there when you when you have a coach on the hot seat who doesn't have a track record, who's the credibility is not very high, and you have a, a quarterback you're not even sure who it's going to be, and and the, 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 you've lost a lot of other players, and the few players you have on your team that lead might not. It's I, I think they're going to do worse than people think. Even seven and a half, I think, is too much. I just don't see it. Now, I, I could be wrong. I'm not saying my assessments are all right. And when I evaluate a coach's leadership, I'm sure he's a great guy. But the crazy thing is we we projected five and a half wins. We Actually, it wasn't win, a five and a half rating for leadership, and the and they came out with seven and a half. But for the Texans, we got a five and a half. They said five and a half. We said the Cardinals five and a half. They said five and a half. Almost every team was within one of what we came up with in a completely independent assessment using totally different numbers based not on the on-field performance, but just on leadership. It was nuts. And you ranked the quarterbacks, the coaching, the head coaching from observation. And then what other intangibles? Tell us about that. Other players on the team, like for, let's take the 49ers. Okay, who's their quarterback there? It's going to be Brock Purdy probably, but they have Trey Lance still, and they have, you know, they brought Darnold in. So they're not strong in terms of having an established leader as quarterback. And Shanahan's good, but not at the top because I think he's more of a technician than a leader. But they have so many players on their team that lead from positional standpoint. When you look at Trent Williams and, and – um, Kittle and you look at Warner and you look at now they have McCaffrey, who's a huge like example guy. Um, they have distributed leadership all over that team. And so that really establishes them as strong leadership. So even if their coach isn't at the very top, now then there's another team like the Giants. They have Brian Dable, who's very highly rated as a leader. Quarterback, middle, okay, don't have a lot of other leaders on the team. So their leadership profile is really driven by him and what he can get out of Jones and maybe turn some of these young guys into leaders. So you can have leadership coming from different places, but then you have teams like the, the friggin' Eagles who are loaded across the board. And, and it's crazy. I see that they have a 10 and a half win total projection. Mine says 13. If they lose more yeah. than four games this year, I will be shocked. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I, I know the Raiders better. I, I I think Josh McDaniel's a technician more than that. And I think Garoppolo, one of the reasons they made the change to Garoppolo was to kind of help them in this area you're discussing. And whether that turns out to be right or not, I don't know. But they feel like they needed leadership. I think they right. would have agreed with you more. Like, like, let's say you watch Carr play. Did you get the sense that he was a great leader? Well, I think he has the potential for it. I don't know if if the environment allowed for it. And this is what we're going to see. When I look at the Saints, you know, they're projected to win nine and a half. I, my, my leadership ranking has them at eight and a half. 
because they have some leaders on that team, but they have some other guys that are in trouble and they've lost some. If Carr steps in and is credible, if if he steps in and can really take charge of that team and they follow him, they they will that'll be a big upside. But it's really hard to say. I think he definitely wants to be a leader, but at the Raiders that deteriorated. So whether that was an environmental thing or whether it was him, I don't know. But I can't give him a high rating for leadership yet until we see what he does there. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of when you change the variables. We start to learn some of these answers or at least have more knowledge of of what it is. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is about acquisitions. Look at the 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 uh, I think the Seahawks. So you're from up there, Femi. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I hate USC growing up. <laughs> I'm a Niners fan, so I don't like Pete Carroll. <laughs> but the man is what he did last year was ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, and so he's a highly rated coach. Their their quarterback. It's going to be an interesting year. Will he step up and be the leader, or is this a transitional thing? But they got Bobby Wagner back. And they've got a few other players. They've got digs at safety. Safety and linebacker are really important for the other players for leadership. I have them overperforming versus what they're predicted to do. Because I actually think that's a team with really strong leadership. And if they can get Geno Smith to to assume that role, they are going to be much better than people expect. Because what they did last year with so little was really astounding. I thought Pete Carroll, that was one of the best coaching jobs I've seen in years. Yeah, I mean, hey, he Mike. Mike Tomlin did a great job. So yeah. let me ask you this, Pat. What would you – like if I if you came into a t- – say a team didn't have a great leader, right, uh, a, a quarterback. Because I think to me the personality of the team has to go through the quarterback position. And so when you watch Kyler Murray – like, what would you be if, if what would you be telling his general manager based on what you've seen on Kyler Murray? Okay, I'm going to tell you this, and this is just my take, and I'm sure he's a great guy, and other people are too. I was telling my son the other day if they, if Kyler Murray went down with an injury, and they just said Colt McCoy was going to be the quarterback for the year, I think I might raise their win total by one. I think Kyler Murray is a great player, but not that great of a leader, and I think we know that he hasn't had a lot of uh, a reputation for super hard work and. He, 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 he got into it with his coach last year and I, I, he, he could play baseball. I mean, I think he's an amazing player, amazing guy. I don't think he's like, put the team on my back. I'm going to take this on. So I think he is, I think they need to, well, and people would say, well, they're going to be playing this year so they can get the kid from USC. Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, Murray's hurt, so he's going to miss six weeks at least. Right. We think that, but I I guess what I'm saying is it, 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 when you give him the money and he's not a leader, how does that oh. does how does that affect the rest of the leadership? I think it's a huge problem. There's a third of this ranking is based on just that guy, and when that guy, you know, what's an interesting team that's strong in leadership except at quarterback going into this year is the Steelers. The question yeah. really is, will Pickett be that guy? I'm, not, I'm. It's not about his arm strength. It's not about anything else. Will he be that gritty guy that can command people in the huddle and, and match Tomlin in terms of Tomlin's ability to be a coach and match Watt and Hayward and all those other guys on the team? If he can be that guy, everything changes. So I, when they drafted him, local kid, gritty kid, played at Pitt, if he can become a leader, I don't care how big his hands are. I don't believe care what his 40 time is. If he can be a leader, that team is going to take off. And so that's a good example. He's pretty low. He's in his second year and we don't know yet. If he goes from a two to a three and a half as a leader on a scale of five, watch the Steelers this year. It's going to be amazing. 
So you know what's another? The, oh yeah. How about the Jets? Okay, we you Aaron Rodgers played at Cal. You know Rodgers. Yep. Uh, you know, give us your give us your read as an observer on Rodgers' leadership and his impact in terms of the leadership role for the Jets. Hey, you know what's funny, Michael? Aaron Rodgers about six years ago. I don't remember what year is when they lost to the Falcons. They do you remember they were going to be eliminated from the playoffs in like week seven or week mm-hmm. eight, and they rallied and almost went to the Super Bowl. They asked him after the season, and I don't know him. How did you turn it around? And he said, I read this book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and I started treating my linemen differently. That's it. I, I've never shared that with you, I don't think. Wow. So that was really cool. So the, the Jets, this is huge. I like their coach. I think, he's, I think from a leadership perspective, I think he's a, he's a, he's a leader. I, he's not on the top of the, but he's, he's strong. I don't know Rodgers. If I were, if five years ago, I'd have said, I'd have rated Rodgers really high in leadership. Right now where he's at, I, it's going to be really interesting to see if he can get the credibility of that team. The last few years, some things have happened that didn't feel like he was like taking it for the team. I'm rooting for him. I think he is the wild card and I don't know, that could be a poop show or it could be an amazing thing. And, um, I'm not sure which it's, which it's going to be. What do you think? Well, I think to, I'm a little different with you on Salah. I, I think Salah is more of a cheerleader than a leader. I think he, uh, you know, I don't see him being a strategist. Uh, I don't see him being someone who's going to be able to anticipate problems before they happen. I think he's a reactionary leader. Uh I think he's kind of got this reputation because he's got, you know, he's got the, you know, the, the, the Mr. Clean look to him, but I don't see him walking in a room and commanding the room. I don't see him being able to say, fellas, I got all this solved. Just follow me. So we're a little bit different there on him, but I, I don't know. I think Rogers, sometimes when these guys get a breath of fresh air and their voice isn't the same voice, people tend to resonate to him. Yeah. And you know, he's going to feel more, they're, they're turning, they're giving him the keys, right? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, I have saw it as a mid midpoint as a coach, because I think you're right. He's a, he's a, he's a cheerleader kind of guy. I don't know if he has coaches around, you would know this better than me, coaches around him to fill in his gaps, but it's going to come down to Rogers. I mean, it really is in many ways. He's going to be such a determinant, not just on the field, but in terms of whether he can make, bring pride and confidence and and, and all of that to the team. So they don't have a ton of players around him, leaders. You know, they're not like a veteran team. They've got Mosley and yeah, a couple guys. Is, is Rodgers, is he the skillful politician? Wow, that's a really good question, Femi. I don't know. Mm. You know, sometimes I watch him interviewed and I love him. And I think he's humble. And sometimes I watch him interviewed and I'm like, oh, I think he might be lost. Because what you're asking me is really, is he truly humble or not? Because it's when a person is hungry and smart, interpersonally smart, but lacks humility, that's what the skillful politician is. We're going to find out probably, you know that? And we'll find out when they lose three games in a row, whether he takes it on himself or whether he's pointing fingers. Pat, what coach do you like? Forget the sport. Like, is there a coach that you just, when you know he's given a press conference or talk and you just say, I want to listen to him because I know I'm going to learn something? Well, I mean, Dungy was one of mine just because he was so different. And, and, and I've had a chance to meet, he is just so different. I, I know uh, there's a guy you and I both like, because I think he does things that other people can't. And that's Mike Vrabel. Um, yeah. The, 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 I, the, what is it about that guy? He just wills people to want to be better than they are. 
and he figures out way you, I heard you tell a story on a, on a show the other day about him finding a way to take his team into the, they had, they had a quarterback that couldn't do anything. They couldn't get a first down after the first quarter and somehow against the chiefs, he takes them into overtime. I don't know how that guy does that. And I love how Frank he is with people. I love that when he's mad, he looks pissed. And when he's happy, he looks happy. <laughs> he seems like he's fully human. And I would probably want to play for a guy like that. So I think Vrabel's one of them. And, um, and it's going to be an interesting year, Mike, because they have not a lot of leaders. Their yeah. quarterback situation is undetermined. Basically, it's going to be Mike Vrabel. If, if they win, gosh, what do I have for them this year? I have them. Our leadership thing says they're going to win eight games. The, the league says seven and a half. I think if they win nine games, he should be coach of the year. Yeah. Yeah, no, Vrabel, I mean, we're big fans of Vrabel on this podcast, like the game that you're referencing, Titans Chiefs Sunday Night Football, and how they able to even get to OT in that game, it still amazes me to right. this day. But I think the one concern with that, though, because you said that, hey, they might not have a lot of leaders within that locker room, and I really want to drive this point home because I thought it was really interesting that you brought up was like that peer-to-peer -peer leadership and how that accountability is best when it's peer-to-peer -peer and not necessarily like um, uh, employer to employee kind of a deal there. Like how are you able to get that peer to peer when I think a lot of folks sometimes say, Hey, it's not my job to hold that person accountable. I'm not paid to be the coach. So why do I need to go ahead and, and coach this person up when that's not my role? Well, that, and that's the thing. That's why you bring a guy in who's naturally does, who can't not do it, you know, but if, and if they're humble, if they're an ass and they come in like, I'm going to be the leader and we see those guys and it's like, Oh, they can't let other people lead. But like, Kittle is one of my favorite players in the, in sports. I've never seen somebody that was, first of all, when they drafted him, they didn't, he got better at blocking because he wanted to. And, and he, I watch him, I go to some of their games and I watch him on the sidelines and they're not using him at all. And he, he is so, and he's cheering people on and he's giving people advice. And I think that if you could go back and draft him, forget about just the performance, the attitude. And, and I think that that has to become the new now, granted, a guy can't be a, have no talent, mm -hmm. but there's the differentiator is not a little bit more talent. The differentiator is the work ethic, the humility and the ability to work with other people. And, and so I just think that I would just, when I draft players, I'm like, tell me guys that, that go above the line. And now I'm going to draft all the ones that have the attitude. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know if I, I answered to me that, that. That 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 kind of is is so hard, and it's hard it's harder to find than you might think, and a lot of it comes from studying their past. You know, guys that have had success, they don't understand how to work. They kind of work through obstacles, that, through their experiences. They've kind of learned that. To me, it's a, it's one of the biggest challenges is is to find that team guy. And like you said, with Kittle, it, it's so rare to get a guy who's happy. Or Kelsey's commentary about. Uh, you know, I know I'm underpaid. I mean, hell, he's being paid like a tight end when we know he should be one of the highest paid receivers in football. So, you know, that's a rare commodity. But so if you were to go and talk to a young team and our young head coach, what advice would you give Jonathan Gannon in his first year at Arizona or Shane Steich in his first year at Indianapolis as a first time NFL head coach? Right. Well, the first thing I would say is, you're not going to be exactly like Sirianni. In other words, because like you said, it's not, I need to be like Belichick. You have to be your own coach, but get the good things that you got from Sirianni and, and take them there because both of these guys were assistants. But what I would also say is make sure, and, and this is the time of year where they need to be doing this. When you're making decisions about which people to keep and not to keep, 
put a huge premium on humble, hungry, and smart because you are going to get distracted by players that have a little bit more talent, but a lot more behavioral problems and have the courage to let someone go and keep somebody else who's going to make a difference. The other thing I would say is distribute your leadership, know who you are. And, and that's why I love the, the six types of working genius. I would want to ask those guys, what are your geniuses? What are you awesome at? What are you terrible? What are your frustrations? Which of your coaches are you going to anoint to fill in those frustrations and give them permission to do what you're bad at? Because the, what the problem is with many leaders is that they're bad at things. So they just abdicate them and they go, well, I'm not a cheer. I'm not a cheerleading guy. So we're just not going to do that here. No, no, somebody else has to fill that in or I'm not a strategic guy. So we, we won't worry about that. No, somebody else has to do those things. So I would say, know what you're great at, lean into that, know what you're bad at, admit it, be humble enough to do that and ask people to fill in the gaps. And then know that the players on the field, their attitude is. So I want to use an example. I'm, I'm, I, hopefully I'm going to get this guy a job. There's a player. I, I, gosh, his name is, he's a, he's a undrafted free agent out of the University of Minnesota. And he's a middle linebacker. And he's on the Niners team. What's his name? He has a hyphenated name. He's a Cuban kid, Sorrow. Ah, I can't even remember his Me name. Too. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up here while you're explaining. Yeah, look it up. This guy is going to be an NFL player for years. He was undrafted. All of his speed numbers and everything looked really good, but who cares? The guy they said was a coach on the field. He's super humble. He comes from a, a difficult situation, family from Cuba, hardworking. He picks the University of Minnesota because that's where they lived and he wanted to stay close to home. I'm telling you right now, five years from now, we're all going to be going, Nick, how did they miss on that guy? And it's going to be because if maybe the measurables weren't blowing everybody away, but the guy is going to make it. He works his ass off. I've heard him interviewed. He's super humble. And, um, gosh, Marani, Sorrow, Marani. Was, was, was it Marcelino McCrary Ball? Is that it? Or I'm nope. Trying to, trying to see here. University of Minnesota middle linebacker. But this is the, I love to talk to coaches about these kind of guys because years later when I go, I noticed that guy and I just am so fascinated by how when the push comes to shove and you got reporters saying things at you and analysts saying things at you that you look at a guy and you go, I know that kid is going to be the heart and soul of a team. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with him. I will say this about the 49ers. They didn't pick Brock Purdy because they knew he was going to be great. I mean, I want to, I, I kind of know John Lynch and I don't know Kyle Shanahan, but they can't really take a hell of a lot of credit for this. They picked him <laughs> at the last pick of the draft. If they thought he was going to be good, they'd have picked him in the fifth round. Cause hell they'll pick a kicker in the sure. third round. Then they didn't play him until everybody got hurt. And I will tell you the truth. You know what they did? I was at some of those games. They just let him go. They just go, screw it. We're going to let him do the whole playbook. They were really keeping Garoppolo and Trey Lance contained. And then they finally said, screw it. We're going to, what are we going to do now? Just let the kid try. And he did great. So I don't think they're geniuses. I think they were blessed and fortunate. And I think they should go back and say, what was it about that kid that made us not pick him in the fifth round or the third round and instead wait to the last pick in the friggin' draft? So again, I think it's behavior, it's attitude. And did you hear, man, I'm going off on this, how Kittle and the other players talked about him? Oh, yeah. He would go into well, the huddle they, and say, shut the F up, you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I think a lot of this too, though, Pat, is the guy had 46 games of playing, right? So he brings experience to the table, right? So he's been in a lot of huddles. And so he understands how to lead. You know, we have this void of leadership because we don't yes. these we don't have a lot of experience. Shane Steichen doesn't have a lot of experience as a leader. Neither does Jonathan Gannon. Now, Nick Sirianni didn't either, but I give Philadelphia credit because I think Philly does as an organization. I think they fill in the gaps. I think Philly would be the perfect organization that fits your working genius book in the sense that they'll take a guy in, they know what his strengths are, and then they'll subcontract out his weaknesses and they make it work, So, which is a rare thing. And it's a tribute to Jeffrey Lurie to do this because he. I think what Lurie finally figured out was there's no perfect coach. Right. But you find a great one or a good one and give him permission to make it great and surround himself with other people. By the way, they are the number one team in the league evaluated right. for leadership. Forget about word, talent. But why why did they get rid of Doug Peterson? Because Peterson was resent was resisting giving them permission. See, this is a great point. Peterson was was resisting permission. He had said, look, wow. I want a Super Bowl. I don't want you guys telling me who to hire. Interesting. Right? I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. And so that's what caused the conflict because, you know, it kind of fits your whole theory of working genius because once that happened, then all of a sudden they were on the outs. And, right. you know, and Peterson said, look, I want a Super Bowl. I deserve to have more authority within this. And I think they were more of the mindset, look, we had as much to do with the winning as you did. Not that you were you were the winning coach, get that right. But we supplemented the other areas. And I think that they're on to something there because it goes back to my original point, which is hard to find another Belichick. Yes. Hey, you know what's an interesting team to talk about? What people love to have is the Cowboys this year. Mm, that's, I'm my, that's, fascinated my, that's my team, Pat. <laughs> it is. That's my team. <laughs> so, Femi, we have them, you know, they, 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 I think that Prescott, I, I saw a, a player came, Plaxico Burris came out yesterday and said, Prescott is the problem. They're, they're never going to win with him. You know, I, and I read the article. It wasn't really about leadership, but I think he's actually a good, a good leader. Mm-hmm. I just don't know on that, in that organization and they, the coach is now taking over the offense again. And I, I would love to hear what you guys think. We have their coach rated pretty low. Mm. Prescott's pretty good, and they have a lot of good leaders around him. To me, this is like McCarthy really ought to do well this year with the players and the leaders he has on the field. What do you guys think? Is he going to be able to do that? Is he a leader? Man. <laughs> well, uh, can I answer this first, Femi, and then you yes. go, you're a fan. Yeah. Yes, you I, I think it's hard to lead in Dallas, and it's hard to lead in Dallas just like it was hard to lead in Oakland because when yes. the owner is the leader <laughs> – it's hard for you to really have that authority for the players to say, I trust you as the leader when you're really not the leader. Right. Yeah. No, I, and, and we're up against it here, but I'll, I'll say this about my beloved Dallas Cowboys. I think Michael's 100% right. Like the, Jerry Jones is the face of the organization. He's the one that's out in front of everybody. He has the media availability every week during the season. He speaks after the games. I mean, which other owner speaks to the media after the games? Like He is right. the face of the brand there. So it is hard to go as a head coach. If you're Mike McCarthy, we saw it with past head coaches. There's a reason why that head coaching position has been one of the more difficult ones, and it's probably hard to get established head coaches to come on be the Dallas Cowboys head coach because you have to put up with Jerry Jones. I mean, as great as a businessman as he is, as an owner, it's 
he likes to meddle a little bit into the football side of things. So it's it's a yeah. tough one to actually get over the hump and be able to win within the margins with Jerry Jones being the face of things. Yeah. So they have on the field though. I think as a leader, Prescott is is yeah. higher, better than average good. for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a great leader, no like, question. Yeah. Well, Pat, when tell we everybody at, where they can find you. Tell everybody how they get in touch with you. Well, you know, they can go to tablegroup.com. That's my company's website. Um, you can also go to workinggenius.com because that's the working genius stuff we talked about. That's that's taking off so many. We have an assessment that in 10 minutes you can figure out what your working geniuses are. That's awesome. Um, so either of those places. And then you can buy my books wherever they're sold. No, that, that, so that's that, it. No, this has been obviously this has been a lot of fun here, Pat. I, we could have gone on for more. We're up against it. We have stuff that's going on a little bit later on in our studio. But once again, author of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, The Working Geniuses. Check it out. The podcast at the table with Patrick Lanchoni. I mean, this has been really, really fun, Patrick. We appreciate you taking the time with us. And Matt, we we we, we got to do this again soon. Maybe next offseason we'll find out which teams can overperform as well and make this a yearly thing. That sounds great. All right. God bless Thank you, you guys. Thanks for having me on. Awesome stuff. There. Thanks, Pat. Pat. That does, that does it for this edition of the podcast here. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you to our producer, Andre Paraiso, as always. Thank you to Pat Lencioni. And then also thank you to Michael Lombardi. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to Vincent. We will talk to you guys coming up a little bit later here on Thursday.